Hear the word of our Lord from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in the 12th verse. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will raise us up by his power. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. I wanted to bring this passage up first to get something out of the way for this installment of the Sex and Marriage series. Namely, that I am not going to advocate that everybody become a coomer. Now, fair warning, we're going to get a little gross in our descriptions of things. We are going to get a little salacious because the topic is going to require it. Oh, well. So if you have kids in the room, which I don't know why you would if you're listening to the Sex and Marriage series, this is not the time for them to be in the room. We are talking today about quote-unquote onanism and all the issues surrounding that. Let me say first that I shouldn't have to make a recording like this, but here we are. What do I mean by that? The church should not be anti-sex. Sex, in the context of marriage, in all of its forms, is perfectly sanctified and the church should butt out of the marriage bed with the exception of the few rules that God gives between a man and his wife. Namely, that you don't bring other people into the marriage bed. Namely, that you have sex often, from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Namely, that you don't hurt each other. The church should be the most pro-sex institution on earth. And today's topic is one of the chief reasons that the church has become one of the most anti-sex institutions on earth. Seeing something that God has created, namely marriage and the acts of the marriage bed, and spurning it, attacking it, treating it with contempt. The onanism, so to speak, that they accuse everybody and anybody of doing if they don't do sex in exactly the right way. We will get to that, right? We will get to the whole topic of onan and why he died. What is onanism? How did the church fathers and Luther and other people see it? But I shouldn't have to do this. Unfortunately, the church is also one of the most fallen institutions on earth, so here we are. From our reading in 1 Corinthians, it is plain that you should not be ruled by the lusts of the flesh. That is not to say that your flesh has been abolished. This is one of the issues that comes up in Gnostic circles. 
where the flesh is so denigrated, you see, that hyperasceticism is warranted. Gnostic monks out there starving themselves to death in order to wage war against the demiurge and those dastardly bodies that he gave us. No, you have a stomach. If it gets hungry, maybe you should eat. That's a signal that your body has a need and you should take that seriously. The same thing applies to aspects of life that are generally pleasurable. You and I might enjoy a beer every now and then. Maybe two. Maybe three every once in a while. But we shouldn't let drinking of any sort rule our lives. In the same way we shouldn't let hunger rule our lives. Whether it is a need or a desire or something you enjoy, it should not be the case that you cannot sleep without that thing. And in context from 1 Corinthians, St. Paul brings up the stomach for food and food for the stomach. Well, because that is a common connection people draw to sexual urges and desires. And St. Paul says, I shouldn't be ruled by that. On the topic of onanism, we need to understand that any permission you are given is not license to become a shameless sex pest. Let's get that out of the way. When we are talking about sex with your wife, or masturbation, or any other sexual activity that the Bible does not name, you should not become a sexual alcoholic. Now, what do I mean by that? We look at an alcoholic with total pity, if not some sort of vicarious shame, some sort of cringe at the guy who has to have his 15 beers every night or his half a bottle of Jack Daniels where he's always stumbling around. You can see that gangrene has settled in on his skin. He's got liver cirrhosis and you wonder... What happened to that guy? We don't want to be sex pests the same way we don't want to be alcoholics. The same way we do not want to be food addicts or gluttons. When it comes to matters of sex and sexuality, the Bible clearly tells us to have self-control. I'm speaking with utmost pronunciation. I am enunciating my words so nobody gets this wrong, even though people will decide to get it wrong anyway. I just have to accept that fact. Oh, well. But yes, you should not be, whether married or single, addicted to sexual pleasure. You should be able to go a night feeling perfectly fine not having an orgasm. The same way you should be able to go to sleep at night without having had any alcohol. If that becomes a problem, you have a problem and it needs to be fixed. That said, these words do not give anybody license to go out and enjoy pornography or fornication 
or any other clearly enumerated sin in Scripture. And yes, for those people who deny that pornography watching and masturbating to various pictures, images, photographs, audio, or visual content online, or by any other medium, enjoying pornography is sinful. Because Romans chapter 1 clearly states that approving of sin is sin. If you are masturbating to pornography, that is sin. If you didn't approve of that sin, you wouldn't be masturbating to watching people commit that sin. Whether that is a woman being indecent over the public sphere of the internet, or whether that is people fornicating on camera, or not treating their marriage bed as sacred and separate from everything else in the world, being totally private, Watching pornography is a sin. We've already been over this. So I am not about to give license to people to sin sexually. But that said, we need to talk about quote-unquote onanism and the problems with that even being a term. Now, where do we get the term onanism? Well, we get it from Genesis chapter 38. Let's hear the word of our Lord from Genesis 38, starting in verse 6. Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife, and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her, and raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground, so as not to give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah my son grows up, for he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. So according to the church fathers, and the scholastics, and even Luther, Onan's sin here was not so much that he refused to bring up offspring for his dead brother Ur, but rather that he wasted his semen. He pulled out, so to speak, performing what is commonly known as coitus interruptus. He did not spill his seed into the fertile ground of Tamar, his new wife. Thus, from the church fathers and the scholastics and even Luther and many others, the call has rung out that any so-called waste of semen, meaning it does not have the possibility to get a girl pregnant, is sin. And not just sin, not just any sin, it is mortal sin, you see. If little Timmy hits puberty and his parents didn't tell him not to, he ends up masturbating at 12 years old. 
And if little Timmy gets into a car accident at 12 years old after the fact, little Timmy is going to burn in hell for all of eternity, so saith the church fathers and the scholastics. And apparently, from the quotes that I've seen, the good Dr. Luther himself. Apparently, if little Timmy is baptized, catechized, and fully confirmed, he goes to the altar for communion, etc., none of that counts. Do not pass go, do not collect $200. You jerked off, so you're going to hell. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that I don't think little Timmy is burning in hell. I disagree with the concept of onanism for multiple reasons. The standard formulation of onanism is that it is wasted seed, meaning God is offended by a man ejaculating in such a fashion that there is no possibility of pregnancy. Why would I disagree with that? Because at some point in your life, if you are a married man, you will be performing the marital act, and it will not result in a child. Even if you uh, spill your seed, so to speak, inside of her. She may not be ovulating. She may be already pregnant. She may be, well, just one of those months where even if she was ovulating, there just was no possibility whatsoever. And even if it was beyond your control, that does not mean that your seed was not wasted. God would not tell us in 1 Corinthians 7 to do it often, if he expected the only times in which man and wife have sex to be that which results in pregnancy. Are you following me here? Because I know people are going to misinterpret my words no matter what I say. I'm going to clearly enunciate them. I will repeat myself. I will be very, very, very clear so that those people who do misinterpret what I say are clearly shown to be doing so in bad faith. If a couple obeys apostolic command in having sex often, frequently, not denying each other according to their marital duty, there will be multiple situations in which a child is an impossible result from that marital act of coitus. We should not, as the church, tell people you may only have sex 12 times a year, or I guess 24 or 36, depending on how long a woman is ovulating. It is not our prerogative as pastors, theologians, lay theologians, or other vocations within the church to tell people stop having so much sex. And here are the only prescribed, permitted means of achieving orgasm together. 
if a man and his wife engage in mutual masturbation, oral sex, or any other conceivable sexual activity that is between the man and his wife, so long as it stays between the man and his wife. The church should be condemning things like threesomes and orgies, etc., and so forth, sure. But it is not my job, and nor is it the job of anybody else in the church, to condemn a man who engages in mutual masturbation or receives oral sex from his wife during some extenuating circumstance like her being pregnant and the, uh, the gynecologist and the pregnancy doctor, etc., tell them they can't be doing the deeds during the last months of her pregnancy. Or if they just decide to engage in these behaviors for funsies. It doesn't have to be extenuating circumstances. They have Christian freedom to enjoy their sexuality together. To engage in their sexuality together. Now on the topic of masturbation for single people, those who are not engaged in holy matrimony, there are going to be those saying, well, maybe a husband and wife have these kinds of freedoms, but a single man does not. He should not be spilling his seed. Okay, so what you're telling me is that if a woman decides to masturbate, that is perfectly acceptable because there is no wasted seed. She does not lose any eggs from this situation. Is that what we are saying? That this is a distinctly male sin? That male masturbation is in and of itself a mortal sin? If he cranks his hog, that's a sin. But if a woman is forearm deep into fisting herself, that is not a sin? Oh, but they will say, no, 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 no. You see, it is not a gendered sin. It is universal, this wicked act of masturbation. Really? So there is no such thing as gendered sin, a sin which can only be committed by a man or by a woman. Well, oh, no, 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 they'll say. A woman who refuses to submit to her husband is sinning. A man who refuses to submit to his wife is not. At least when it comes to not submitting in the fashion that wives are supposed to submit to their husbands. Okay, so you've added some detail there. There are such things as gendered sins, and if you look at the justifications of the church fathers and the scholastics regarding why, quote-unquote, onanism is a sin for single men, it is all about the wasted semen, as though your spunk is sacred, as though you have sacred spooge that must only go into a holy receptacle through penis and vagina coitus during the time of ovulation, or else God will damn you. That is the logic. I'm just restating it. Again, I wish I didn't have to answer this sort of question, but here we are. The issue with declaring onanism a mortal sin, beyond certain 
hermeneutic disagreements that I am going to have with that is, again, it creates a contradiction between St. Paul saying have sex often and a logical conclusion gathered from the story of Onan in the book of Genesis, which maybe suggests that wasting semen in and of itself is a mortal sin. Because, again, outside of the period of ovulation, you wouldn't have an excuse to have any sex whatsoever. If a woman is not going to get pregnant, you're sinning, according to these people, and I dislike that logic. The supposed sin of onanism is made up whole cloth from logical inference by the scriptures. It is not based on the clear words of scripture, which would tell you whether or not a certain action is a sin. For instance, we know that fraud is illegal because it is a means by which you unjustly take what is not yours, thereby Defrauding your neighbor is an act of coveting the scheming of the Ninth Commandment as well as a violation of the Seventh Commandment, you shall not steal. We can look at these two commandments and say, ah yes, frauds, pyramid schemes, Ponzi schemes, etc. are sinful. We can say that tax evasion is sinful, given the clear words of Holy Scripture from Romans chapter 13, and elsewhere saying, go pay your taxes. If you do not, not only are you saying that you are rebelling against authority, which God installed into position, you are also refusing to love your neighbor based on a selfish understanding of how the government works. The government takes my money because it is mean. There is no other reason why the government would demand my money. It is just because it is bad and evil and mean and wicked and doesn't want me to have that second boat. But the supposed sin of onanism is arrived at via logical conclusions from narrative passages in scripture rather than clear commands. That's bad. Now, somebody might say, ah, but pastor, scripture says that if a man is going to burn with passion, he should marry. You are correct. He should. What do you want him to do with his natural and God-given uh, sexual desires and urges in the meantime. Maybe the response would be something like self-control, which again I have agreed with. I have already started this entire recording by saying that people should have self-control. Whatever they do, it should not be the case that their deeds, their actions, whatever they eat, drink, or do with their bodies, should control their behavior. It should not be a severe addiction or something along those lines. I already agree with you. Self-control is a good thing. But if you extend that to say that a man should 
always be of the mindset of it is no fap or I am going to hell unless I go out and confess my mortal sin to a priest, I would say that is going too far. Can we agree on the less the better? Sure, 100%. The less you indulge in something like masturbation, the better, because you will be more self-controlled and better able to withstand or flee sexual temptation. But there are occasions that I have been confronted with with young men saying, sometimes, this is what they'll say, I am stuck between either go run into the shower and masturbate, or I end up watching pornography at home. Maybe they work from home. Maybe they can't get away from their computer. They can't break their computer. They are required to be online for work or school, as we see with the recent COVID lockdowns and restrictions, forcing millions of kids to be online for Zoom class. So that temptation is always there and ever-growing because our society shoves sexual content down our throats right in front of our eyes 24-7. So you answer the question, would you rather Billy, the 15-year-old student, or Tommy, the 23-year-old office remote worker, masturbate or watch pornography? Which one? Oh, you might say, neither. I want him to do push-ups until he is tired. I want him to run laps. Or he should go for a drive. Something to get his mind off of this horrible temptation to pornography. Okay, that's a good first option. What happens when he gets home and that temptation is still there? What happens when his chest is sore from doing push-ups, but that temptation is still there? You can't negotiate with natural human desire. What do you do? If your answer is nothing, nothing whatsoever, Billy, just grit your teeth and bear it and eventually fall asleep, you have just informed him that his natural desires and any desire to act on those desires, it's all wickedness. God created this natural urge to reproduce or to have a spousal oneness with somebody. And God created that evil? According to these people, those that believe that onanism is a thing that exists, the male nature, predominantly the male nature, when it comes to female nature, I guess they just lump women in for no reason whatsoever. But the male nature is so corrupted in such fashion that we have this innate desire to waste seed and thus merit eternal death. That is the official position of the Roman Catholic Church, of multiple church fathers, etc. I would argue, no, that's not the case. The ways in which original sin manifests itself regarding sexual activity is in regards to things like degenerate behavior with other human beings, 
degenerate watching of pornography, degenerate fantasies, but a bodily function, and one that you don't have to teach pubescent kids to perform on themselves, is something that I cannot point at God and say, wow, sure did turn out evil, huh? And yet, this is the issue that turned the church into an anti-sex institution. Par none. No other thing in church history has ever left it so anti-sex and so weird about it, so anal about the topic of sex in and out of marriage that young men become afraid of their own phalluses. It's weird. Now, yes, a close second place, by the way, regarding the church becoming an anti-sex institution would be the elevation of virginity to semi-divine status. But that is a recording for another day, maybe next week. That's its own whole can of worms that seems to have come out of um, Marian theology or Mariology. But onanism really takes the cake when it comes to turning people's normal human behavior in and out of marriage and making it bad without explicit biblical command leading to these weird complexes all over the place. Leading to people listening to the degenerate hedonists all around them, telling them to just cast off all restraint whatsoever and just let their freak flag fly. Thank you, church fathers, for going there and thus making my job a whole lot harder. Because you see, I get emails from people, oftentimes of the Roman Catholic variety, saying, help me to stop masturbating. Please help. I don't want to do this anymore. And I have to reply, well, why are you doing that? Where is the orientation of your heart and of your mind? Are you addicted to it such that you cannot control yourself ever when sexual urges and desires hit you? When that wells up within your body, are you unable to control yourself? I have to ask these specific questions because if scripture does not explicitly call something a sin, or if it is not so obviously derived from the Ten Commandments that there is no way that it could possibly be anything other than sin, I've got to start asking about the position and the disposition of somebody's heart. Now, why am I bringing this up? Because Onan's heart was wicked. What was the actual mortal sin that Onan was committing. It was a refusal to love his brother and to care for this poor woman, Tamar. It was a refusal to fulfill the laws concerning leveret marriage. From Deuteronomy chapter 25, beginning in the fifth verse, If brothers dwell together, and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger, 
Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son, whom she bears, shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him, and if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. And she shall answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Onan was killed because he spilled his seed rather than having a child that would not be considered his. He refused a future for Tamar. He refused provision for her. His seed was wasted because where his seed should have been going in that particular circumstance is his new wife's womb for the sake of helping her dead husband's name continue on. Case closed. God killed him because he refused to fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law. Only with flawed hermeneutics can you say that this passage from Genesis regarding Onan means that getting a Hummer from your wife is a mortal sin. Only with terrible exegesis can you read this passage, insert a bunch of natural theology from it, which is for the most part just human logic, and say that Little Timmy is going to hell because he was hit by a bus the day after he masturbated for the first time. And I don't know what weirdness would possess people to start believing in holy cum. That's weird. It's gross. It is a natural function of the body, primarily to be enjoyed with one's wife. Now, is this me saying that everybody just has permission to go masturbate? No. Like I said, the less often, the better. The more self-control you have, the better. And if you should decide to masturbate, I suppose you ought to be very careful to not be lusting after a woman in your heart. Whether that is a cartoon or not, guys, let's be real. We know what you're doing if you're staring at drawings. You need to have self-control. In most cases, does that mean that masturbation is some sort of venial sin on account of an erring and straying heart? Maybe so. But we have to, have to, have to employ good hermeneutics. We cannot have purity spiraling hermeneutics. 
This is one of the reasons the church went astray and started declaring that virgins, by nature of being virgins, are super holy and awesome, and by that fact alone, probably 60% of the way to being heaven-bound. My goodness, does the church have a lot of weird things to say historically about virgins. This is where we get pill-pull regarding money. This is where we get people being super weird about laws concerning usury. Rather than looking at what the clear words of scripture say and giving people counsel and command from there, we start binding souls. We start burdening people. We start becoming quite a bit like Pharisees. And I see this happening all over the place in multiple areas of life, not just the sexual that lead to people being weird because functionally a lot of it ends up being a denial of sola fide. It ends up being a denial of the sacrifice Christ made on the cross for us and it does not help people's walk with God. If anything, it empowers the devil by saying something is a forbidden fruit when maybe it's not. At least not in all cases anyway. And we end up binding marriages and destroying them by saying a man and his wife cannot enjoy the marital bed as often as they like or in almost all cases however they want we're butting the church's head where it doesn't belong and harming people as a result of it instead of giving wisdom we are giving commands where god has not spoken and that has only led to disaster because for some reason when it comes to BJ's or mutual masturbation or oral sex or anything you name it masturbation for some reason the church gets weird about this and starts freaking out and we need to stop it if that means I'm going against holy and apostolic tradition or whatever so be it, I will be the adult in the room. If that means I'm some sort of evil coomer or whatever you want to say about me, fine. I don't care. I'm going to speak where the Bible speaks, and I'm going to be very careful if I comment on a moral issue where the Bible does not speak. We should be clear about these things because the whole keep the beds separate until it's time to make a baby conceit has led to a massive pile of divorces in the back of the church bus. Now that said, I hope you enjoyed being uncomfortable with me. Lord knows I was uncomfortable for this, but sometimes you need to just say the quiet stuff out loud. Email me very underscore Lutheran at tutanota.com. If anybody has any disagreements or concerns, maybe we can go ahead and address that in the next installment of the Sex and Marriage series. We'll figure it out. But until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.